Welcome to Get the Scope, the podcast for current and aspiring nursing and midwifery students with Scarlett and Caitlin. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Get the Scope, where today we were joined by the lovely Amy Corliss. Amy was a lecturer here at Monash University. She taught Scarlett and I, she got taught Scarlett in her first year of midwifery, and she taught me for my Indigenous unit um, in the Bachelor of Nursing. On today's episode, we talk all about Amy's private midwifery practice. We talk about home birthing um, and what it's like working as a private midwife in that sector. We talked about yoga practice during pregnancy and how she uses that practice to better her as a midwife. Yeah. And we really hope that you enjoy today's episode. Yes, enjoy. Welcome, Amy, to Get the Scope. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for coming on. Before we start, we would just like to do an acknowledgement of country and we would like to acknowledge and show our respect to the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional custodians of the land in which we are recording today. We would like to pay our respects to all First Nations people, past, present and future, and we acknowledge that we are recording on stolen land and sovereignty was not ceded. So to begin, we always like to start at the very beginning of everyone's story. So growing up, did you always know that you wanted to be a midwife? I was always obsessed with pregnancy. So to the point that I would stick out my stomach really far and say to my mum, she'd have that my parents were very social, so they had a lot of people around. And I'd be saying, you can tell them I'm pregnant, it's okay. And she'd be like, stop it. <laughs> stop being so pregnancy obsessed. Uh, but it wasn't actually until I was um, pregnant with our firstborn. So she was born nearly 26 years ago. And I met a midwife and I went, ah, oh, that's it. That's for me. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. That's such a cool journey then. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, so can you tell us, I guess, about your journey of how you got to where you are today? So how your career unfolded, where you studied and where you've worked? Big journey. How long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a great journey. Um, from knowing when that seed was planted, when uh, in that first pregnancy, I was like, how do I get there? How do I get there? And I knew that I wanted to do a bachelor straight of midwifery. I knew that that was available overseas and was waiting patiently, sometimes impatiently, for it to come here. So it wasn't until we had two more children and then the course became up and running here at Monash Uni and I was part of the first intake. So we had to apply and we had to sit an interview and there was 25 of us lucky ducks that uh, got selected um, to be the inaugural first Bachelor of Midwifery. It's a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, students. So that was 2002, 2003. Uh, I graduated from here, but actually when I was doing my uni course, we had home hospitals. So my home hospital was Peninsula Health. So I got to work at Frankston as well as Rosebud. And through meeting other midwives at Rosebud, uh, I then was offered to do a home birth apprenticeship in a sense. It wasn't formal, but yeah, in a sense, whilst I was studying. So yeah, it was it was a lovely blend for me to see both sides of the coin. So hospital as well as home. And so then I went into my grad year. I, I was offered um, a position through, it was called Southern Health then. Yep. 
Monash now as well as Peninsula and I was really lucky in that when that's actually where I do want to work. She was a very innovative uh, unit leader and she was happy for me to do a hybrid grad year. So I got to actually basically three shifts a week um, at Monash and then two shifts a week with Peninsula Health and it was fabulous, yeah. So can you tell us about your um, postgraduate study, any postgraduate work that you've done? Yeah, yeah. So uh, in 2012, I went on and did the prescriber's course. So that was just in its inception too. So it was online through Flinders University and it basically entailed two major units, which was pharmacology and investigation and diagnostic. And that was to become an endorsed midwife, so a Medicare endorsed midwife. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yes. that allowed you walk, to walk into like your private practice, essentially? Yes, yeah. yes. So um, I had had a taste of private practice prior to that mm-hmm. through working, um, doing home births. Yep. But to formalise it, I really felt like, uh, you know, it's it's good to have a qualification behind you, extra knowledge, and then it was, yeah, a bit of a launching pad from there. Wow, so did you do that post um, your graduate study, so like after um, graduating and then doing your post-grad, and then did you go on and do that, or was there a time in between where you worked in like a hospital setting? Or? Yeah, so I worked in hospital settings from when I graduated right up until 2012, yeah. really 2013. Yeah, so that was mostly hospitals and then occasionally on call for a home birth. Wow, amazing. Um, so you, we know that obviously you're a uh, lecturer here at university. So how did you get into that? And was it something that you were always interested in? The stories that the lecturers would share with us really stuck with me, really resonated. And uh, it was lovely to go out on clinicals and then come back to that safety of uni and go, this is what I saw and is this normal? And yeah, so I really liked that. I liked the rapport that we had with our lecturers. And I had been working as a uh, in community health, so I was a community midwife for a program called Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies. Yes. Yeah, so I've got lots of hats there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, during that time, I was working with uh, vulnerable populations, yeah. uh, which was really rewarding. What I was finding was when I was Uh, taking women, transporting them for their appointments and then I'd go to the antenatal clinics. In lots of different places I was finding that when I would be interacting with the students they would be really diligent about filling in the paperwork but I was noticing that they weren't interacting Mm -hmm. with the women and I thought oh, this is how I could maybe help our profession to, to bridge that gap on the importance of, of intimate care, of interaction. So the position came available and I thought, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. And yeah, it's been very, very rewarding. The balance for me became impossible though by being running my own private practice and being on call as well as then my commitments to the university. So something had to give. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So you've mentioned you've had um, 
being your first pregnancy so you've have you had how many pregnancies have you had oh, personally we've got well how many pregnancies yeah. interesting <laughs> yeah yeah that's a really good question so um all up we've had seven pregnancies mm-hmm. and we have three beautiful children yeah so yeah wow. yeah so it's interesting isn't it you know there's two different aspects there mm-hmm. how many children you have and then how many pregnancies yeah you've yeah, experienced yeah it's a good conversation i remember we it's learned great. it in um mid 1000 and yourself and Anne were our teachers where you talked about when asking women um i guess that question of oh how many pregnancies have you had and how many children they they're two different questions, uh, questions. They are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and for some women they have different meanings and so yeah just like that language around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I, honestly, no, I, I just, I just did it just because. No, no, it's oh, good. Though, yeah. It is great. Yeah. It's it's really good. Yeah. And then it does make you go, oh, okay. So every woman's experience is different. Yeah, it reminds you that all of those experiences matter and they were a part of you. Yeah, too, so. yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because all of those little pieces, Caitlin, mm. make up me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, what I was trying to get to was um, <laughs> how did your own personal birth stories impact on your practice as a midwife now? Yeah, yeah. So I got to experience it as a consumer and I got to decide what felt right and where I felt really respected and heard. And then I also got opportunities that I thought, ah, that's not actually what feels right for me. So it got to, it allowed me to then really broaden my mind on how would other women like to be spoken to and the significance of their partner and other children. And yeah, it gave me great insight into that. Yeah. 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 Did, it, did you find it really shaped the way that you wanted to practice? Did it really, were there midwives that you'd come in contact with that you were like, yes, that's the kind of midwife I want to be? And then others were like, oh, okay, I'll be mindful of that when I practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's a beautiful part of our profession that we can learn from each other. Uh, and sometimes we learn what not to do, you know, but but definitely, you know, I can close my eyes and, and my mind is full of scenarios of just working with midwives, um, colleagues that you're just inspired by. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a great profession. Yeah. <laughs> working with women is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so are you able to talk about what um, private midwifery practice is and how it differs from the midwifery care that you might provide in a hospital environment? So... In the hospital, uh, there are a few different models of care, but the mainstream maternity care currently is uh, is run by, and they run it well, but by shift work midwives. So therefore, you come in, you're allocated, uh, your women that you're working with, and then you know you end your shift and you hand over that care. So private midwifery is is uh, continuity of care. So from your first meeting with that woman, now that might be. It looks different for everybody, but it might be in pregnancy. You continue the care episode with that woman, uh, possibly going and being birth support. Some PPMs, privately practicing midwives uh, in the northern, for example, where they've got visitational rights, so they can then go in and be the acusha in the hospital. Yes, stay tuned. Hopefully, That's that awesome. comes closer to home. Yes. 
and then you work with women right up until their baby turns seven weeks. So uh, I like to push that Medicare limit as much as I can. So that's six weeks and six days I have my final visit with the family. Uh, and yeah, so the difference basically is that my care episode goes from the start maybe pregnancy, right through until their baby is seven weeks of age. Whereas in the hospital, the care period is for that shift. Mm. Yeah. Are you able to, I guess, just expand on um, what being an accoucher midwife is in a hospital setting um, um, and how that's how that in the north being an availability for private midwives is so, I guess vital yeah I've never, I've never heard of a kusha midwife yeah ah, I've never heard of okay that. so a kusha is the person that actually well remembering that the woman is the person that's doing the the heavy work she's birthing her baby the akusha catches the baby so you are the pivotal person in the room if you need any assistance in the room it's you that is giving the directions uh, as just before the baby is born though you're calling on another midwife because soon there's going to be two people in the room you continue to look after the woman and the second midwife will look after the baby yeah does that yeah yeah. make sense yeah Yeah. so it's like the lead role in the birthing unit well sorry not in the unit but in the birthing suite or the birthing room yeah and we don't have that here as of yet for private midwives yes so when my understanding is that when private midwives walk into the hospital setting they um essentially the care is then the primary care is that shift work midwife that's working and they become a support person or perhaps a doula, would that be? Yeah, 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 definitely. So the role is acknowledged as one of support. So, yeah, you're supporting the woman and her partner, uh, but you are not responsible for, yeah, for the catching of that beautiful baby. Yeah. That's where you're working with the hospital midwife. So um, places like the Northern and different places around, different um, institutions around Australia, they are acknowledging midwives to work in their full scope of practice, meaning intrapartum care as well, so during birth. And that's where those midwives have visitational rights. So they go in and, um, and basically they are that primary, primary care provider in the room. Yeah. What were the factors that contributed to your desire to practice privately after all of your experience in hospital settings? Yeah, I enjoyed my time in the hospital setting uh, and, you know, I've, I've got some really fond memories of, of time in the hospital. Uh, personally, I was just being challenged by the time constraints of care that I could provide So, for example, I did a lot of antenatal care for young women when I was uh, working for both Monash and for Peninsula Health. And I felt that 15 minutes was really hard to get to uh, what was happening for that particular woman at that time. So stepping into private practice then allowed me to say, well, it's my time and how long do I feel I need to cover what is important for this stage of pregnancy for this woman and for this woman. 
So my consults look far more like an hour yeah. <laughs> uh, than 15 minutes. Yeah. And um, I know I appreciate how hard it is on the, on the hospital midwives. Yeah, so I've seen both sides. Yeah, I think that's a trend um, in the private midwives that we've interviewed so far is the main factor driving them to be to begin to practice privately is the time constraints mm. and their inability to be the midwife that they would like to be. Yeah, for that working for that woman. full yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. using their full scope. Yeah. 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 Um, so what does the current research tell us about continuity of care experiences for women and the role that they play in pregnancy, labour, birth and postnatal? And um, I guess how can women access that care in our current maternity system? Yeah, great questions. So overarching outcomes are better. They're better for women and they're better for babies. When you get to build a rapport with a woman, refer and uh, you know and collaborate with additional help for that woman Uh, you start to work with her and when she's noticing changes in her body or if it's going uh, off that normal path remembering that we're the guardians of normal we can then sooner basically so then the outcomes are better There was a second part to that question that I was intrigued with too, but could you please? Yeah, Yeah, so I guess how can women access the care, um, that model of care in our current maternity system? This is the biggest challenge and it's challenging for lots of different reasons. But for me personally, it's challenging because uh, I'm not um, a spruker and social media doesn't come easy to me uh, and so it's getting the word out really that this is a model of care that is available to women really sitting with a lot of the women that I've worked with over the last year and they come from all different backgrounds um, marketing you know lots of different things and they we quite often came come to the same conclusion that it needs to be right from conception so when a woman finds out that she's pregnant, her first port of call is normally the GP. Now, once again, the time constraints for our GPs is means that are they fresh of mind of, oh, there's these privately practicing midwives, or you could go and see the midwives in the hospital, or you could do share care with an obstetrician and a privately practicing midwife, or you could see an obstetrician. So quite often, because they're time limited, they will jump straight to where do you want to birth your baby and here's an obstetrician that you could contact. And so finding out about us is falling through the cracks, yeah, which is a shame. And I hope you guys, next generation, can shed light on it, yeah. Yeah. I think I think we we are so far. I think, I it's, think yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a conversation that I've had with Caitlin um, yeah. and a lot of my referee friends as well about that that just that initial point of call being a GP and how we can change so much of a woman's experience with pregnancy, labour, and birth and postnatally if we just by changing that, that call. Yeah, if they call a midwife yeah. and then they get to explain the models of care that are available and then they have that discussion on oh okay these are all of my options what one suits me yeah exactly exactly I would love to see a model of care where the woman was in charge Uh, she was given an allocated amount of money a bit like what's happening 
has happened successfully in New Zealand for a long time and then the woman gets to choose what midwifery care she would like, what medical care she would like and she gets to marry the two. Yeah. I didn't know they did that. The New Zealand model of maternity care is my... Just New Zealand in general. Yeah, I've thrown it a lot in podcasts. I think the listeners are going to get sick of hearing about New Zealand because I'm obsessed. I tell you what, they they are all over it. And they have been for a long time. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we need to look across the pond. (laughs) I'm going to jump across the pond. Um, so one of the birth options that many pregnant women aren't usually aware of is a home birth. So can you explain to us what a home birth is and what are some common misconceptions around them? So a home birth is really choosing the location of birth. And for some women, they feel that to birth at home is where they will be able to birth successfully. So, um, you know, you're comfortable in your own environment. Mm-hmm. A lot of, of getting into that labour land and labouring well is being able to be comfortable in your surroundings. So there's a big draw towards home birth for that reason. In order to provide safe home births, you need two accredited birth workers, so being midwives or a midwife and a doctor, for the safety of, just as I was saying before, when a baby is born, there becomes two people to look after. Yeah. So, this, yeah, under a safe uh, umbrella of home birth, it would look like two midwives there mm-hmm. for the birth. So, historically, a barrier for women to access home birth was the cost because you're paying virtually to have somebody on call for you for many weeks and you're also paying for their expertise and for the safety that they provide in that expertise. So it's expensive because quality care, you know, should be paid for and should be valued. Coming, that was another motivating factor for me coming into private practice because I thought, well, Medicare is going to help provide the cost of that home birth. Unfortunately, it hasn't married up yet so that there is Medicare item numbers, but they're not in play yet. So it's still quite an expense for families. Having Medicare rebateable services though for pregnancy and then postnatally can reduce the overall cost. Some hospitals uh, in Victoria are doing home births through the public sector and that is fantastic. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that is an affordable way for some women uh, to access that. The trouble is we just need it to be rolled out you know, in more areas so that it's not so heavily zoned. And what are, the, what are some of the common misconceptions that women do have when they think of home births? Because they, I can imagine many of them probably don't feel that it is safe enough. And yeah. can you reassure us that it, it is safe? You know, that birth is unpredictable. So we must really always keep that in mind. Women that home birth, they tend to be extremely motivated during their pregnancy to make sure that all their, you know, their levels are well, their iron's really, you know, optimal and that they really know themselves very well because they are not going to enter a hospital setting where you know where everyone else can take care of them they're basically prepping themselves to take care of themselves in a home um, birthing set um, 
scenario, women don't have access to pharmacological pain relief. So their internal focus has to be really sharp. Qualified midwives will be able to detect when things are going from the normal path and then transfer women to the hospital. So not every home birthing scenario ends in the baby being born at home. Sometimes women are transferred into hospital and that's for the, either the safety of the mother or the baby. So uh, it, it is safe as long as your healthcare providers are the guardians of keeping it safe. Yeah. What, what um, as a midwife I would hate to see is that women felt that they could um, birth without assistance at all because then things can go wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's, it's perhaps a common misconception that women um, think that free birthing and home birthing kind of coincide, but that isn't the case. No, it's not the case at all. So free birthing is when it is unassisted and home birthing is when, yeah, um, two qualified people are providing safe care. Yeah. 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 Um, you've definitely talked about it. Can you expand a little bit more on how the Medicare rebates will really change private practising midwives and the availability that it has for women to access it? So it did make that, um, that barrier of financial cost it reduced it greatly by bringing in this initiative. It also helps free up hospital space, basically, because if a privately practising midwife is attending to care in the community, that's one less person sitting in a waiting room needing to be seen. So it's lovely. It, it helps ease the burden of the public sector. Uh, so basically how it works is it's a bit like when you go to see your GP so at the end of the consult you pay for that consult and then Medicare give you a rebate for that care yeah so that's how it works so out of pocket it's greatly reduced mm. is this um, just for the antenatal period that women can um, access that? so throughout their antenatal period and then right up until their baby is seven weeks so yeah so and that looks different for every woman so say um, a woman that's birthed for the first time uh, leaves hospital within 48 hours uh, if I know that she's heading home at that stage she'll call me and we'll arrange to meet and then it's entirely up to her I allow her to be the driver of how often she would like to see me so for each different family it does look different for first-time mums quite often they like me to come every day <laughs> and to see them and and that's really rewarding because you get to see their progress yeah. yeah for some families that I work with they're having their fourth child they still love that midwifery care so I might see them once or twice a week and yeah and just really see and help that family to adjust to their new family member that's so beautiful it is i love that yeah that's really so we know that you um are a yoga instructor yes. yes yeah so can you talk to us about your yoga practice and how it links really well in with pregnancy yes so uh, they go hand in hand they absolutely do so throughout when I was studying, I would turn to yoga as that outlet. It, it was just, yeah, it would remind me to breathe. Mm -hmm. And there's, especially with the over, you know, the overwhelm, uni, placements, life, 
you forget to breathe. And so yoga gave me that ability to do that. And working with women in pregnancy and labour, I would find myself tapping into, into that. So breath work, finding different postures, you know, to help, help them move their bodies and move their babies. And so uh, it was a, just a few years ago, I was saying to myself, when you turn 50, you should do your yoga teacher training. <laughs> um, I wasn't 50. I was like 47 and I went, why am I waiting? Yeah. You know, this is... And I was recommending that women do pregnancy yoga and the feedback I was getting was there's not a lot around. Like, where do we find these classes? And so I went, okay, I can do that. I can help out. I can marry the two, midwifery and yoga and yeah and it's fabulous it's I haven't looked back yet so I currently teach two pregnancy yoga classes a week and two mums and bubs classes a week yeah because it's that whole thing where do you where do you end the care and and uh, I've had many women multiple women that get to 40 weeks and they're still coming to yoga had one gorgeous mum comes to mind who was 41 weeks and she came to yoga in she felt she wanted to do one more yoga class and then she went off and had acupuncture which is a lovely another lovely um you know aspect and then she went into labor the next day and birthed her baby so, yeah but those sorry i digressed but <laughs> um but those pregnant mamas would be saying but when we have our babies then our classes end yeah. and so yeah so then listening to what women needed I went okay let's do mums and bubs Mm -hmm. and now that's growing too it would be a really great escape um during pregnancy when you know I can imagine life would be hectic you're finishing up work you're nesting you're preparing to every you're preparing for everyone to have this baby come in it would be really great to just be keep grounded yeah. and escape for a bit yeah you're so right it does both those things and it allows you to go inward mm. and so you know that just then enhances their journey that they're on mm. yeah but yoga's good for everyone <laughs> we can yeah, we, yeah, we can. Yes. Yeah. I was just thinking as well I guess how like you were saying going inwards like there's so many changes that a woman goes through in pregnancy that like the whole you know changing of her hormones and her body and her structure and just being able to really reflect inwards and think this is such a special moment in my life and yeah just using yoga as that yeah escape yeah yeah it's it's beautiful and it it really does help them prepare for the work of labor and birth I was just I just received a message from a family that birthed last night, and she was listening to um, the the playlist from our yoga group, and yeah, and yeah, and she was saying that that really tapped into keeping her relaxed and keeping her motivated and moving along. So, yeah, it's oh, it's it's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what advice would you give to students or graduate midwives who want to pursue a career in private midwifery practice? Please come join us. <laughs> Please come join us. Yes, uh, we, we need more privately practicing midwives uh, for the women and also for the healthcare system because, you, you know, it does help to ease their burden mm. in the healthcare se- sector. 
uh, I would say get to a place that you're comfortable working in the hospital and then explore your options. You know, you might want to just, after all the study, after your grad year, you might want to just enjoy your practice for a while. And that's okay too, because you're contributing. Then, if a time comes that you feel like there's something more, or I can feel my set of of skills is honing in in this direction, then you explore it and find mentors, find people that are just that step ahead. Uh, That was challenging back in the end of 2012 because we didn't know how it was going to look. We didn't have those mentors a few years down the track encouraging us to promote a certain way or, you know. So I hope that we can now be that for future generations. Most definitely. Yeah. As the private midwife that you are, what does your schedule look like now compared to when you worked in the hospital setting? Yeah, yeah, okay. So for today, for example, I did two postnatal visits prior to coming here. I've answered many phone calls uh, and I'm on call for a birth. Mm-hmm. And this afternoon, I've got two pregnancy checkups. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's my day. Mm-hmm. It's very rare for two days to look the same in private practice. So for me, when I make the commitment to be at somebody's birth, then I, uh, I only take on a certain amount per month so that I can be there. So everyone practices differently. So some privately practicing midwives form a group and through that group, they will cover each other. Whereas, yeah, I'm, I'm quite siloed in that, you know, I just take on my women and then, you know, follow them right through until their babies are seven weeks. So it is a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. that's probably the, the challenge of, yeah. of privately practicing. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a fabulous conversation with a privately practicing midwife the other day and we acknowledged that that is the challenge. Of, of what we are doing at the same time we can improve that you know we can learn from that and improve that it's finding the time though <laughs> that we could all come together and yeah yeah and have a bit of a discussion yeah yeah I was just thinking like giving yourself the opportunity to still be able to debrief um and because yeah that caseload midwifery kind of does give you that team of women that are all on board and I suppose yeah as a private midwife do you have I guess a good group of midwives that you can then debrief with and really um, just yeah 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 I've got many mentors that are midwives and and some that don't weren't necessarily privately practicing you know they were hospital midwives and I also do rely on some local obstetricians to debrief with as well and yeah and I've learned that collaboration you know is key but yeah you do find your group you do find the people that you feel comfortable uh, with sharing and um, seeking their advice and yeah and I'm very fortunate that a lot of my mentors I met right when I was a student and yeah and so some of them are retired now but um, they still love talking birth Uh, and so yeah so sometimes just talking through a scenario with them can just help me clear my mind and yeah and find a path forward yeah so our last question is what is your favorite part about working with women 
when I get to see them meet their babies or interact with their babies, it brings, even the thought of it brings tears to my eyes. When a woman knows that she's achieved that, mm-hmm. uh, and that is irrespective of uh, the way the baby has been born or brought into this world, yeah, just knowing that she has grown this baby and is adding to her family is, oh, that's just heartwarming. Priceless. It is yeah. priceless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that oxytocin bubble is <laughs> like nothing else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it's real, it's real. And if I was to think of it from the nursing perspective, you know, to, to see somebody uh, become well or, or you know to to see someone um, whose rehabilitation is just being moved along by by their inner wisdom and you, by us standing by and helping them is that's the reward mm-hmm. yeah yeah I agree yeah um so we end each episode with a series of rapid fire questions okay <laughs> so our first one is what are the top three qualities that make a good nurse or midwife to the people that you're working with. The second, and I will say that these three are in no set order, (laughs) the second would be the ability to ask questions. So to not, yeah, so to not sit in wonder, but to find somebody that you can ask that question of, because we, we are not all knowing and it is good to seek help outside of ourselves and that provides safe care. Yeah, so that's my second. And my third would be the ability to find a way to calm yourself. Mm-hmm. So for me, that is yoga. And uh, tapping into that then allows that clear mind. So. Uh, as students and even as practitioners there's times where things are really acute and you know they're full on yeah but that ability learning how to calm your mind so that you can clearly see what is in front of you will help you every time Mm. they're really great qualities Mm. Wasn't very rapid though. Sorry. <laughs> they never really are. That's, we just call them rapid fire questions. <laughs> so our next question is: What is your favourite study hack? I'm old school. <laughs> I'm old school, and I'm really visual. So for me, the ensuite was full of pictures. So just drawing it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Me too. My shower. <laughs> My sister's yeah, come out. Yeah. Um, what's your favourite pastime that keeps you sane? Oh, look, yoga's a big one, but the other one is sharing a laugh. <laughs> sharing a laugh with whoever I'm with, it, yeah, it, it definitely keeps me sane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, favourite thing you've been consuming at the moment? So it can be a book, a TV show, a podcast, anything. Well, books, I've just finished The Happiest Man on Earth. Yeah, Eddie Jacou, I hope that I'm saying his name um, correctly. It's a fabulous read. Mm -hmm. I love insights into people's experiences. Um, So that was great. What we're watching, oh, one one of the families I'm working with put me on to, and I'm a bit late to it, but The Handmaid Tale. Oh, The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. But I can't watch it last thing because it's so intense. Mm -hmm. I need something calming afterwards. (laughs) 
Uh, and podcasts, your podcast. Oh. <laughs> I'm really loving what you guys are doing. Really? It, yeah, it's, it's fabulous. It's it's really great. Oh, you know, you. I really enjoyed the insights from James mm-hmm. and from Joy. And yeah, so well done, guys. You're doing Thank very you. well. Yeah. <laughs> um, our last question is: um, Who is one person in your life you are most grateful for, and why? That's the hardest question. <laughs> like one person oh, is really as yeah. like. many as many. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll be here for four hours. <laughs> I, you know, I'm truly grateful for every person that I get to meet in my life because I take the opportunity to to connect and learn something. So yeah, I'm grateful for everyone in That's my cool. life. Um, but. Who sits at the top of my tree? <laughs> well, that would be my hunk of spunk. <laughs> we have um, we've been together for over thirty years. Oh my god! Yeah, and he gave me our three beautiful children, and you know, and he has allowed me to be the full person that I am. To become, well, he hasn't allowed me. That's that's a the completely wrong term. He has empowered me and supported me and encouraged me to be the person that I am and the midwife that I am. And yeah, so if you don't have your soulmate yet, keep looking. <laughs> there is someone. There is someone for everyone. Absolutely, that's really beautiful. It is. That that, that's like... our favorite question to yeah. ask everyone. It's we always get the best answers. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Amy, for joining us today. You've been an absolute delight. I love hearing your midwifery philosophy and all the things that you've ventured into. So oh, amazing. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and all the best with your studies. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Get the Scope. Amy was such a pleasure to have on the show. She has such a gentle nature to her. And, yeah, we hope we hope you guys got something out of today's episode. Yeah, definitely. She's such a holistic midwife. And I think that she brings such a peace and energy into the room. And I feel like, um, yeah, we really gained that from today's episode. Yeah. So if you guys enjoyed this episode or any of our episodes, please make sure that you check us out on Instagram um, at Get the Scope Podcast and make sure you follow us on whatever you're listening to. Leave us a review if there's an option to do that. And yeah, we'll be back in your ears next Tuesday. Yeah. Bye. Bye.